Welcome to The People Project, the podcast about my journey to understand what it takes to create great company cultures. My name is Jonathan Richards, and in this episode, I explore the topic of mental health in the workplace. I speak to Mike Ellen, the Training and Resilience Manager at Mind in West Essex. We talk about what mental health is and why it's an important topic for every business. My goal was to learn from Mike what it takes to create a supportive environment that challenges the stigma of mental health. Mike covers the impact of poor mental health on businesses and indeed the UK economy. He also shares some really useful tools that every business would benefit from using. Enjoy the podcast. I'm sitting here with Mike Ellen, who's from Mind in West Essex. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for coming along to Breathe HQ. Thank you for inviting me. No, you're welcome. We're here to talk about the very important subject of mental health, and particularly mental health in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So you came along to us at Breathe, what, a month or so ago? Yeah. Maybe slightly more. And gave us a really good talk to all of our line managers uh, about the way to to handle and, and maybe identify mental health in the workplace yeah i thought it would be really good first off if you could just introduce yourself say say sure. a bit more about where you're from and, and what it is you do there yeah sure okay well thank you for inviting me along so i've been in mental health for about 19 years now started off volunteering in my local mind so i'm from mind in west essex so we're based up around sort of stansted airport area and we go down to sort of northeast london so we cover sort of basically m11 corridor so i started off so volunteering supporting adults with a wide range of mental health problems and I got a real buzz out of doing that so I then took a part-time role and then about 10 years ago we changed our service model and so I trained to become a therapist working with adults did that for a few years and then a couple of years ago did further training for working with children and young people so I work in schools a couple of days a week doing individual therapy been doing that along with the training as well workplace training is really taking off these days so we deliver all over the country and it's really good to see that workplaces are taking mental health more seriously Amazing. For those people that don't know about MIND, can you just tell us a little bit about what what MIND is? Yeah, so you've got National MIND, which cover England and Wales, and they're sort of largely a campaigning organisation. So making it aware for us to talk about our mental health. There's a lot of stigma and discrimination that stops people talking about how they're feeling and they tend to bottle things up and then that causes problems later on. So through various means, it's about saying, okay, we can talk about our mental health and access the really good services that are available. And it's also about mind, sort of keep prodding the government to say, okay, you keep promising this money, parity of esteem between mental and physical health. Let's actually see that money come through to the front line. Then England and Wales are split up into about 140 local mines and they provide the services in your local communities. So it could be often around social inclusion. So when people are experiencing poor mental health, their self-esteem really drops away and they tend to become sort of really keeping within themselves. And so that makes the problem worse. So various sort of social inclusion activities, plus commonly talking therapies. So each local mind will put on different services to help and support people get back to where they want to be. Do most have an offering of training that they do for businesses? That tends to vary. That one, I guess, is perhaps sort of a little bit random in a way. So not all of them do that. They focus a lot more on individual support. Great. Okay, but I know you travel quite a long way to get here, so you obviously do some travelling around that. Yeah, yeah, we're used to that, and it's just good to get out and about and deliver the word, really. Yeah, absolutely. Probably would be a good thing if we started off with a sort of a common understanding of what is mental health what do we mean by mental health 
I think, you know, it's an interesting question. Now. If we'd have asked that question, say, five or so years ago, people would have really focused on the mental illness side. It was very negative. Just because that word mental, that word carries its own stigma and discrimination with it. It's very hard to define mental health. One of the ways we can describe it is it's how we think, how we feel, how we behave. It's our self-esteem. If we have good self-esteem, we tend to have confidence to try things out, to not be so afraid of failure. If we have low self-esteem, we tend to worry what people think of us. We tend to feel that perhaps we can't achieve things and perhaps our life isn't quite as enriching as we would like it to be. Yeah. So there's that part of it. Also, we can think of mental health as how we cope with daily life, how we cope with stress, because you know we can face stress from all sorts of places. So it's about how we sort of manage that, what coping strategies. And, and I've read and certainly heard about we spend so much time and effort looking after our physical health, yeah. but we don't spend enough, anywhere near enough time looking after our mental health. And the two are so closely linked, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, we get a lot of public information about how we manage our physical health. What public information do we get about managing our mental health? There's very little. And in a way, it is the same thing. So we're looking at, say, exercise, healthy eating, trying to get enough sleep, but also, crucially, talking. If we've had a stressful day, we just want to offload to somebody. We don't necessarily want answers. We don't want to be fixed. But just talking about things, get it off our chest, is a really important way of managing our mental health. And, of course, I guess then we spend so much of our day in the workplace. That's why it's so important for us to, to have the ability to do that in the workplace. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think in the workplace, there is a worry from people that if they talk about perhaps they're not coping or they're feeling low or anxious, they're worried how that's going to be perceived, that in some way they're a failure or weak or they can't cope. And what sort of response will that have? What will that mean for them in terms of the workplace? Will they then perhaps be pushed aside, not be offered promotion, for instance? People often struggle to talk about mental health. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Because we're particularly talking about businesses and small businesses in Mm. in particular, the life of a small business or certainly a small business owner, there's many, many pressures and lots of different things to consider. Why is mental health another thing that a business owner should, or a business leader should be focusing on? I think the important thing there is that if we want people to do their job properly, looking after someone's mental health is really important. Just being aware of the stresses in a workplace and how that impacts on people. You know, if people are feeling overstressed, perhaps they're anxious, perhaps low mood, they're not able to perform at their best in the workplace. So to provide some sort of basic support or awareness is really important. Just as we were were talking before we started recording, you talked about some of the most recent stats around, which were pretty shocking. Yeah, so the latest figures show that uh, mental ill health costs the UK economy around about £99 billion a year. Wow. UK businesses, it costs about £42 billion a year. 91 million working days lost per year. 91 million? Yeah, through mental ill health, through stress, anxiety and depression commonly. And are these stats that MIND have brought out or is it the government or who's producing them? It's a collaboration between government and MIND. Yeah. So they're fairly sort of common stats really. And they've been sort of that high for quite a while as well. So it's nothing new, but the support for mental health often has been ignored in the past. Yeah. But I think, you know, with those sort of figures, people are thinking, oh, actually, perhaps we need to do something about this. There's a, a real proven case for businesses spending time, effort and money on, on improving mental health in the workplace. Yeah, there is. Look at the number of people experiencing poor mental health. 
Typically the figure is one in four people in any one year will experience poor mental health. Realistically, it's reckoned it's more like three in five people. So if you think of any workplace, 60% of those employees could be experiencing some form of poor mental health and what's the impact on that individual and how they perform in the workplace. Absolutely, and then I guess add all of that together and the effect on the workplace, it's mm. it's no wonder that the UK productivity levels aren't, aren't probably where they should be. Yeah, but it's also, you know, the impact on that individual. Yeah. Which, you know, we mustn't forget that. Although we're looking at sort of profitability in the workplace, it's the impact on that person. Yeah, yeah, no, well. absolutely, totally agree. I love the idea, you, you introduced us to the idea of a bucket full of stressors, yeah. how stress builds up, because mm-hmm. you just run through that, how, yeah. how that, that builds up, because I think that, that did a really good job for me of explaining how stress can, can get too much in the workplace. Yeah, so the idea we talk about stress is we've all got a stress bucket. It is just a virtual one, but the size of that equates to our own ability for dealing with stress. I think importantly what we need to recognise is that we all have different levels of stress how much we can tolerate. It's not a one size fits all. So if stress is pouring into that, and they can come from in workplace, they can come from outside the workplace, it could be money worries, it could be health worries, it could be looking after children, any sort of life event, it could be moving house, divorce, what have you. The stresses will build up if we don't actually look at managing those stresses till it gets really near the top. As that stress bucket fills up, our tolerance for dealing with daily life gets less and less until it's right near the top, and it could be the slightest thing that tips it over. It could be one of the examples we give, okay, you're having a stressful day, you want to go and get a cup of tea. You go into the kitchen, no milk. Oh, that's it, you know, that's the final straw. Right. Stress bucket tips over, and then someone has an angry outburst maybe, or just runs off or kicks off, what have you. And it's not that last incident that's the problem, it's all of that stress. And how, in a business environment where the bucket has been filling up maybe over weeks and it's just something in the work environment that tips it over the edge, yeah. what's the way that a, that a manager in an organisation should, should handle that, should approach that? I think in the way it's about knowing your staff, knowing what is their usual sort of behaviour. And what we're looking for any change in someone's usual behavior so it could be they're becoming a bit snappy a bit irritable maybe it's about quality of work perhaps they're checking things more than usual perhaps their concentration is going perhaps their decision making isn't quite what it used to be could be personal appearance perhaps they're neglecting themselves a little bit so it's about recognizing those and going and asking them how are they Right, so it's all about trying to anticipate that the bucket is filling up yeah Absolutely. You know, the sooner that we can ask people how they are, then we can put something in place. And what about if people in a business felt it was none of their business? No, they, they, they sort of felt that everybody has a right to their own privacy and they didn't want to get involved. How, how would you handle that? How would you say to people about that? Well, there is always that, of course, you know, personal privacy, which we must respect. But if we're talking about the workplace, it is a sort of duty of care, which everybody has. So if we do spot someone isn't their usual self, it's just about being human, really. Just saying yeah. care and saying, hey, you don't seem your normal self. What's up with you? You know, Is there anything going on you want to talk about? That, that brings to mind, there's, a, there's an employee engagement survey called the Gallup G12. And one of the questions in there is, have you got a best friend at work? And that sort of brought it to mind, because if everybody has a best friend at work, or at least a close friend at work, then it's that person that's going to spot that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it is, and it could be, just in conversation with somebody, someone might say, you know what, my sleep's really bad these days. And it's very 
very easy just to ignore that. Say, oh, poor you, okay, that's a shame. But actually, that's one of the first indications that someone's mental health isn't quite as good. Yeah. So it's about, oh, okay, what's going on for you then? I heard you say earlier on that everybody's stress levels are different or their tolerance to stress yeah. is level. Is that something that's people are born with or is it based on experience? I guess it's experience, isn't it? It's a combination of factors, really. There's an accepted model. So it's the DNA that we inherit from our parents and various genes will get switched on and off. So that will sort of dictate your base personality, basically how sensitive you are. Then it's about the quality of those first few years, absolutely crucial, say the first seven or eight years of life, the relationship we have with our main caregivers because we learn how to be human from them. So if you have parents that maybe experience anxiety or depression, you almost learn that that's an, a normal way of being. Right. And so if stresses build up, you might quite quickly tip into anxiety or depression. It's a combination of those two plus our sort of close environment really you know where you live is there a um, supportive environment you know do you have enough money what's your close family like where you live you know is there hope for employment what's schooling like add all of that together will sort of dictate how we deal with life stresses now you you used a couple of terms in there you talked about anxiety and depression yeah. there are there are a number of different types of of mental health or of illnesses yeah. is that the right word i think people can be very very wary of using the wrong language yeah what are the types of problems that that people might face so the most common mental health problem is anxiety and we all experience anxiety so it's a case of well when does that become a problem and that's largely when it begins to interfere with people's daily lives if perhaps they're worrying too much they can't switch off perhaps sleeping is affected perhaps if they're beginning to avoid doing things that's the time when people ideally would need to seek help because anxiety tends to grow and grow and will really impact on someone's life and then depression and they often go hand in hand but depression is more about constant low mood so not just for a few days at least two weeks and sort of lack of interest or pleasure in doing things and sort of very gloomy view of things really okay so they're the things to look out for again that just just brings to mind something that i heard the other day around the subject of meditation yeah and the person i was listening to was describing that so often in our day-to-day -day lives, it's like on a computer where we keep leaving windows open. We've minimized the windows, but they're still open. Each of the open windows uses up a tiny little bit of our resources, and yeah. all of a sudden you get to the point where there's too many windows open and the, the computer crashes. Mm -hmm. Now, this lady was suggesting that, that meditation was a way to try and close some of the windows. It sort of somewhat gelled with all of that. I don't know where you are on, on, on meditation. We're going off topic a bit. Any sort of holistic type of therapy is really good and it depends what works for each person i think things like meditation and mindfulness they just give a bit of calm really particularly say with mindfulness which is obviously very similar yeah. it's about you're just noticing those negative thoughts you're almost letting those thoughts just pass through your mind and you're focusing on the here and now because with anxiety is about sort of obviously forecasting the head thinking right. things are going to go wrong if I don't sort this out could be I'm going to get in trouble at work I'm going to lose my job that's going to ruin my relationship I'm going to lose my house and so on we is that what's called catastrophizing yeah catastrophizing yeah. and that happens so easily so meditation and mindfulness just gives us sort of few minutes of peace from that and allows us just perhaps to look at things a bit differently communication we've talked on communi about communication a little bit tell us about how people communicate and what what you need to look out for when when you're trying to help somebody i think initially it is about those changes in someone's usual behavior it's then about just simply asking them how are they 
you know, you don't seem your usual self today. You know, is everything okay? I think most people, even if their world is falling apart, they're going to say, yeah, I'm fine. And then so it's about maybe coming back with something you've noticed. It could be, okay, perhaps your timekeeping is a bit sort of out these days. Quality of work isn't quite the same. You seem perhaps a little bit snappy and just wondering if everything's okay. And again, people may still, it depends on the relationship with the person. They may say, actually, yeah, you know, things haven't been quite so good for me for the moment. But people may just say, no, no, everything's absolutely fine. And then it's about saying, okay, well, my door's always open if you want to come talk. And you quite often find people will come back, say, next day, say, actually, thanks for asking. There is something that's bothering me. Can we talk about it? The fight against the stigma around mental health is real. It begins with being human. This year, we've decided to tackle it head on. We've published version two of the sick report, which just touches the surface on the everyday issues employees and employers face with mental health issues. The stats are in, and it turns out that the silence costs UK businesses over £1.4 billion a year in unexplained sick days. That's not surprising, really, when you consider that four out of 10 employees would feel uncomfortable opening up about their mental health to their manager. So download the sick report today and don't forget to subscribe to the people project (laughs) come and join us challenging the stigma around mental health the relationship between managers and their employees Mm. that can often be the the sort of the weight of history of the the manager employee relationship as being somewhat confrontational yeah so the idea of, of transaction analysis and the type of conversations there, maybe maybe you can just touch a little bit on that. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty difficult to explain yeah. on a podcast, but give us some idea about how transaction analysis works. It's a fascinating subject. Okay, so the idea was first put forward by Eric Byrne. The idea being is that we have three ego states within us. So we have parent, adult and child. So the parent takes the form of someone who is either controlling or nurturing. An adult state is where we're just in the moment we deal with facts. So it's okay, what is the problem? What is the solution? Let's find a way of getting to the solution. So we don't have any emotions in that. There's also no criticism, no fault finding. It just is what it is. And then there's a child ego state is where we can either be adapted, compliant, where we basically we give way irrespective of our feelings or we can be rebellious. In terms of how we get to those states, so as a child growing up, it would be you would be noticing how your parents behave. So children are often watching their parents and how they manage situations. So a parent perhaps could be quite critical, for instance, or quite harsh, or maybe very loving and supportive. And then so if we take this to the workplace, so it's then we're dealing with, say, a manager. A staff member comes to him, and it could be that um, that particular situation for that manager almost takes him back to his childhood. So he goes into the parent role. Right. And so he thinks, right, okay, I'm going to tell this staff member what to do. You do it my way or else. It could be the employee says, actually, we've got a lot of work on. I don't know if we're going to get it done in time. And the manager might tip into that parent and say, you've got to get it done. And so what happens then, it sort of invites the person to go into their child mode. So the employee might say, all right, okay, I'll get it done. I've got to work all over the weekend if you want me to get it done, but yes, I'll do it. And so the manager gets his way, gets the job done, but you're destroying the relationship between employee and manager, and that's not going to work. Or it could be that the employee becomes a rebellious child and says, no, no, I'm just not doing this. Sort it out yourself. You can't talk to me like that. 
So they do a lot of uh, workplace training. And we get to hear that a lot of people are promoted for their technical ability. Yeah. Suddenly they're put in charge of a team of people which they've never had to do before, have no experience of that. And they will manage that team of people from, in a way, perhaps how they were brought up, how their parents treated them, and maybe how they think they're expected to behave as a manager. And suddenly you're dealing with a whole host of characters with all their different personalities, which might be very different to the actual manager's viewpoint. And it's how does that manager deal with that personality? How do you get everybody to gel and work productively? It can yeah. be really difficult. That raises so many questions. As a business grows, so for instance, our business here at Breathe, mm. when we were a few people, everybody was moving incredibly quickly. We were just all about movement, all about going very quickly. And everybody would try everything and do everything and break everything. Yeah. And as we've grown, as we've got more people in the organization, as we've got more customers, we've had to very deliberately slow down. And sometimes it's quite hard for the leader, I, I find it quite hard, to actually slow down enough to give other people a chance to do things or to mm. take that responsibility. And I can see it in, in examples where I've actually done that, I've done the, the parent-child piece, Yeah. and now you explain it, it's, it's how it can switch off the employee's ability to solve problems even. Mm. The best meetings we have are where we get a bunch of adults in a room together and we have an adult to adult conversation. Yeah. It makes it so clear. What are some tips that a manager could use to try and, I guess at the least, spot themselves going into that parent role, but at best to stay out of it? I think in a way it's if you spot yourself talking as your parents would talk, <laughs> that's one of the signs that you are being that parent. Right. That may be a good thing. That parent could have been very sort of nurturing and supportive, so that's not a bad thing at all. But if you hear yourself talking as a parent, perhaps a bit harsh or critical, telling people what to do, that's obviously one sign really. Because in a way, as you said, you know, you want to empower, you know, staff members to sort of feel they can approach you for a start and see what ideas they've got. You know, if people feel they have a say in their workplace, they're more likely to sort of want to engage better, Yeah, really. But also I think as a manager, you don't want to take on too much as well because you've got staff there, you know. So a manager has to be aware of their own stress levels. So yeah. if you take on, if someone comes to you with a problem, you say, okay, don't leave it, I'll fix it. Well, actually you're taking on extra work and can you really do that? But also that doesn't empower that individual to grow themselves. No, I understand that. And I can see that so often where particularly the, the, the owner of a small business where they never put the business down, mm. it never goes away. Yeah, uh, You know, there've been times in the past where I, I can wake up in the morning and I've clearly been thinking about the business all night. Mm. And, and I can see that, that it could be so easy for the, the, the business owner to fall into the trap of trying to look after somebody else's mental health, but actually yeah. not thinking about their own. Absolutely. We have to look after number one, really, to be able to look after other people. Right. So I guess it's like put your own gas mask on first in, a, in an aeroplane. Yeah. And it's also giving yourself permission to do that, which is really important. Yeah, because um, we don't like failing as, as business owners. <laughs> no, that's right. If I can give an example of the relationship as well. Years ago, I used to work in engineering and uh, my boss at the time was really good at his job but not quite so good at sort of managing people. Right. And so it's a very sort of critical environment. If anybody, so a customer rang up and said there was a mistake, you know, the boss would walk down to the drawing office, say, okay, who drew this? And everybody would be almost like quaking in their boots because you'd get a public telling off. 
right. and it would be, oh, how could you have missed this? I can't believe it. And it was really embarrassing. So we worked really hard just to avoid that embarrassment, but we didn't build a respect for this guy. He then retired, we got a new manager in, more modern thinking. And so it was a case of, okay, mistakes happen. If they do, let's find out why and let's try and put in steps so it doesn't happen again. Yep. So it was just as profitable. Everybody worked just as hard, but we had a much greater respect. And we would go and tell him if we were struggling, say, look, you know, a bit too much work at the moment, is there something we can do? Whereas with the old boss, we wouldn't. We would just sort of bash on regardless. So the end result was the same, but you had much happier employees with the more modern thinking. Right. There's a lot of talk about employee happiness and just yeah. generally happiness in, in, in total. Is there a difference between good stress and bad stress or stress and pressure, I think, is probably the way it's referred to? Yeah, I think more commonly we think of, say, pressure and stress. So pressure can be good for us. You know, it what motivates us in the job. It gives us some enjoyment, gives us that energy to do the job. And we get a buzz, hopefully, then from doing the job. We have to be careful that can tip into stress. Stress is when we get cortisol released. Long-term stress can be really damaging. High blood pressure, potential heart attacks and strokes if that isn't managed. So stress basically is not good, pressure is good. Importantly, it's about for every individual to realize, okay, when is this sort of tipping from pressure into stress? When am I perhaps, my sleep is being affected if I can't switch off. Maybe like Sunday night, you begin to think, oh no, I've got to go into work in the morning, what's it gonna be like? You know, that could be the signs that stress is beginning to develop. What are some of the things that you hear people saying in the workplace that you see as being no-nos? They might be said with the best intentions, but do you hear people saying obvious things? What, what should they avoid? Oh, things like, well, just get on with it. Right. You know, um, we're all stressed. You know, we've all got to manage. Why can't you? And that sort of horrible phrase, man up, whatever that's supposed to mean. Oh, absolutely. So it's quite dismissive, you know, and that's often when, say, if it's coming from a line manager, they really don't know what to say. And all they're focusing on is just getting the job done, irrespective of person's feelings. Is there, I guess, sort of almost a, a denial, we'll just push on through, maybe well-meaning, we'll, we'll just, it'll be okay, we just got a little bit more, we'll just keep going. Do you see that as being an issue, just, just a sort of a, a constant steady drive? Yeah, I think so. I guess that comes back from, in a way, perhaps lack of training for sort of line managers, really, and that they often don't know what to say. So that's what they'll say rather than nothing, because they perhaps feel that they have to be in charge and always doing the right thing. Right. Just because they're under performance issues as well, and they're monitored, so they've got to be seen to doing something. Yeah. Whose responsibility is my mental health? Is it, is it mine or is it my workplace's? It's both really. I think primarily it's our own personal individual responsibility is the main issue because you know our mental health doesn't just sort of start and stop at the workplace. Right. Our mental health is with us 24-7. So it's sort of, there may be stresses outside of work that get brought into work. You know, work may be going well, but if you've got outside stresses coming in you're going to sort of perhaps be a bit snappy you again you can't concentrate and what have you so it is down to the individual i think really to manage their own mental health but there is a strong responsibility on the employer to yeah to be aware and to be to be open to conversations is, is that i'm reading that right yeah and i think what's important is for the workplace say leadership teams line managers to be aware 
of what are the stresses their staff can be under. That's okay. really important. Sometimes that can get lost. Yeah. Say for a line manager, they're focusing on their own particular job, which yes, they have to, but it's about, well, what stresses are my staff yeah. under? What stresses are my team going through? Are the deadlines a bit too tight? Do we need one or two extra people to get this job done? Yeah. Or whatever's going yeah. on. When we deliver some of these courses in the workplace, we get managers think, okay, what are the stresses your staff going through? To see if they actually recognise that and with varying results, really. Yeah. What are some of the things that a business should actually do if they want to, to improve their mental health awareness, to start that journey to becoming a better, a better employer? What really works is for everybody in the organisation to have mental health awareness training. And that's right from the very top, right down to sort of all staff. That way, everybody is aware of what are the signs and symptoms. People are aware that it's not a weakness or a failure on the part of somebody if they are experiencing poor mental health. So there's greater understanding. Also, I think by everybody having that sort of training and everybody buys into actually being able to talk about mental health. It's not just a tick box affair that a company is going through. Right. So sort of like general employees think, okay, we can come talk about this. It's being taken seriously. Are there specific tools that maybe a company that wants to spend a little bit more money on this? What are the tools or the, the services that are out there to help them? You've got some um, sort of variety of tools, which I think often aren't well known about really. So some companies have an employee assistance program, and I think that's going to be the first place to go to really, because you'll get access for that support fairly quick. As well as mental health support, you've commonly got legal advice, you've got sort of financial advice as well, and that is totally confidential, and that's something that should be pointed out okay then you've got your GP got your local NHS talking therapy service people can self-refer to and then you've got sort of voluntary service providers so you've got mind you've got rethink you've got cruise you've got anxiety UK load of sort of voluntary services which give really good information that people can access Right. And are there any books, any any magazines, any other websites that you'd particularly recommend? We see a lot of self-help books these days. And actually, you know what? They're all pretty good. Most of them are based on cognitive behaviour therapy. Okay. So pretty much they're all saying the same thing, but they're just wrapped up a little bit differently. But they're all really useful. So, so it's fine one that suits you. Yeah, and... yeah. It could be one that's being written by maybe um, somebody you like, a celebrity or perhaps a professional that you actually sort of gel with. And yeah, they're really good. Sort of as a, as a way of wrapping this up, mm -hmm. if there was one thing that you could change about the, the, the workplace yeah. in 2019, is, is there anything that you've sort of really noticed time and time again that, that you just love to wave a magic wand and, and fix? I think having a workplace where people can just talk about how they're feeling. Right. Rather than being afraid to open up, so they have the ability, they can go to their line manager and say, you know what, I'm just struggling at the moment, finding things a bit difficult, can we have a chat about this? Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, really. Brilliant. Look, that's been fantastic, Mike. Really, really appreciate you giving up your time. Where is it best for people to go, I guess, first off, to to find out more about mental health, and secondly, to find out more about the work that you do? Obviously, go to the Mind website. There are loads of free downloads lots of information, leaflets, and you'll get further links from there. Plus also look out for your local mind. Just go onto a website, type in your local mind and you'll see what resources they've got. Okay, look, superb. Thank you again. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation and uh, we'll end it there. Okay, thanks very much. Cheers, thanks. thank you.
thanks again to Mike for his time today. Look out for the next episode of The People Project, where I'll be joined by a panel of business owners and HR advisors. We talk about their general approach to managing mental health, where responsibilities lie and where to go for advice. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to get the next episode as soon as it becomes available. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might listen to your podcasts. Please leave us a review and we'd love to know what you think. You can also find out more about Breathe and gain access to a whole range of resources about building a great company culture by visiting breathehr.com forward slash blog. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.